All right. Is that better? Yes. yes? Okay. Well, we just finished a week of Vacation Bible School, and many of you were there. We had 45 children with us this week. That's incredible. A third of those kids don't attend our church regularly, so that's super exciting. Uh, yeah, sure. VBS is an exciting week, uh, but it's a lot of work. It costs money. It takes a lot of volunteers. We had 35 volunteers this week. And thank you to our volunteers who helped, who gave, who decorated, who bought their own supplies, who donated stuff. We could not have done it without you. So thank you, volunteers. Can I put this close to Miss Jessica and Miss Joyce? Okay. Um, and with VBS, there's a certain amount of anxiety as the leader because you don't know who's going to come, who's not going to come, any weird problems that will come up. It's all kind of... We've set this plan, and now we'll see what happens and figure out how to do anything that we didn't plan for. I'm trying. Okay. Um, but you guys do VBS well. This church knows how to come around leaders and step in and make it happen, and I appreciate you. We provided a safe and loving presence for God's children. We welcomed them and introduced them to Jesus, and there's really nothing better than that. We may not know the full impact this week or this year or ever, but we did God's work by welcoming others and loving them. Well, at Bible school, I was sharing a story um, to the children of, about a father and his two sons. You might know the story as the prodigal son or of the lost son. And I want to um, read that really quickly just to review it with you in case you're not familiar so it's in Luke 15, and Jesus tells them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share my share of your estate now instead of waiting till you die. Can you imagine? I would never do that to my mom. She would say no. <laughs> so this father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land. There he wasted all his money on wild living. About that time, there was a famine that swept over the whole land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs, which was the worst thing that a Jewish person could do. Pigs were unclean. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired men have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned both against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And you might notice the rest of his planned speech is cut off. The father interrupted and said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the fattened calf we have been 
fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. So as I'm telling this story to the kids, I, I look up, and they're all so little. There's three-year-olds and two-year-olds and first graders. And this story is amazing because it says that no matter what we do, God will love us, and he'll come running after us. And these children... Yes, they've done things wrong, but not like this son had done. They don't know the depth of despair, the betrayal that this son experienced. And I wondered, why are we even telling this story to kids? What's the point? Why do we tell the story that they don't understand? Like about Moses parting the Red Sea and God leading the children to deliverance. They don't understand that. Or Joshua leading the people around. What? You do? Oh, geez. It's like a big miracle. How do you explain this? And it's such. Okay. You know that. Just listen. I'll get there. (laughs) Or what about Joshua leading the people around the walls of Jericho? And then all of a sudden, the walls fall and the city's conquered. Or the story of Jesus and his crucifixion and resurrection. That's a big concept to teach to three-year-olds, isn't it? Why do we bother? Well, I think we tell these stories in order for, to give our children foundation, something to build their faith on. When they're young, we tell them the details, the who, the what, the where, how many loaves, how many fishes, how many people, which I messed up this week, because the details aren't the story. What the story is, is what it teaches us about God. Through the story of the lost son, we learn that God will never not love us. He will never not accept us back. Through the story of the Exodus, we learn that God hears his people when they cry out to him. And he doesn't just, you know, hope that things get better. He steps in. He sends someone to take care of them. Through the story of Joshua and the walls of Jericho, we learn that God fights our battles for us. And through the story of Jesus, we learn God's plan for redemption of all people, not just the people who were his chosen ones, but all of us. This is why we teach our children these stories, because they lead to something else. And as we continue to tell them year after year, more and more unfolds of it. I remember when I was in college and we were, um, it was like Good Friday probably, because we were watching um, The Passion of the Christ. And it hit me. This is huge. This is so much bigger than I ever thought it was. When I was in college, I finally figured it out. But these stories, we keep telling them over and over so that they'll become familiar in our children's hearts. And someday, more and more will get unfolded of what the story means and who God is to these children. Well, as I was thinking about the Bible stories, I also thought about the family stories we tell. My family tells the story of this one year we went on vacation to Montana. And normally we only ventured to Nebraska from Iowa, but this year we went on a big trip to Montana and we took my grandma. And I was about five years old, so I don't remember the trip very well. Um, But I remember the story being told year after year. And 
This one day, um, we were driving along, and I was in the front seat of the car between my parents, and my brother and sister were in the back seat with grandma. My oldest sister was grown and didn't come with us because she didn't have to. So we're driving along, and all of a sudden, I needed to throw up. And so my mom says, get the throw up bowl, and you know, there's chaos, and I don't know what happened. I'm sure there was a mess, you know. And we pull over, and everything's settled and cleaned up. And my mom says to my grandma, which is her mother-in-law, by the way, she says, why didn't you pass the bowl? And grandma goes, I thought we were having a wreck. And we told this story year after year. And I don't know, my grandma had dementia, so maybe, you know, something wasn't clicking. But I always wondered, my mom was so stressed out by this, and I always wondered why, until I grew up and had children of my own, and, you know, there's like a half a second between when you know someone's going to throw up and when it comes out, right? And you're driving 60 miles an hour, and you have to act really fast, and you need all hands on deck right then. This was a stressful situation for my mom. And now that I'm a grown-up, I get it, because I've experienced it. And now we travel with a bucket under the seat, usually. <sighs> These stories come up over and over and over, and they define who, they, who we are. There's funny stories from my childhood of working on the farm. Some of these are only funny now because we're not doing it anymore. And there's sad stories about our relatives who passed way too soon. These stories have shaped mine and my siblings' lives and gave us structure and a foundation that's unique for our family. I'd imagine that your family has stories as well that you tell every year, or we have a story we tell every time we have spaghetti that I'm not going to tell because we were being really terrible people, and it does not look good. And my uh, probably seven-year-old niece called us out for being rude. But we tell this story every time we have spaghetti. Um, but I'm sure your story has these, your family has these stories as well. And these stories stand in the gap between what happened that we remember and the things that happened that we don't remember. And they help connect us to who we are. And that's the same as the stories of God, the stories of our faith. We tell them over and over so that they can um, help us to understand who we are as we grow. They continue to unfold and reveal something new each time we hear them. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses, who's about to die, is talking to the Israelites, and he's telling them the story of what's happened the last 40 or 50 years. And he's telling them because many of them didn't experience the exodus, the leaving Egypt. So he's telling them this story about what God has done for them, and he tells them of God's laws, which are intended to bring the people closer to God. And in Deuteronomy 6, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are away on a journey, when you're lying down and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands as a reminder and wear them on your forehead. Write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. This retelling of the story that Moses instructs the people is like a sharpening of an object. It's like when you're grinding 
to make something sharp, like the stick that you're poking a marshmallow with. It's grinding it and repeating it over and over until it has its full use. We're to tell the stories over and over until they're known, and then tell them again, until they are um, understood, and until they define who we are. We tell these stories so that our children will always know that they are God's children. So they will never wonder who they belong to. It's not just important to tell the ancient stories, but to tell the more recent ones as well. In my family, we tell of our grandparents taking our parents to church and our parents taking us to church. We're thankful for that heritage we have. We tell of people praying for us and the way that God has provided for us through our church family. We tell of medical miracles, things that we don't know, we can't explain. And we tell the story of how God has been faithful to us and so we can be faithful to God. This directive Moses gave was for the individual families and for the whole community. We have a responsibility both for raising our children and for those around us. We work at home to teach our children to pray, to listen for God's voice, to know God. But we also gather and live in communities so that others can influence our children as well. Um, on Sundays, we don't just ask for volunteers so parents can have a break or so that the, the pastor can preach in silence or so that, you know, whatever doesn't happen. We have people teaching our kids because it's important. We want to teach them the stories of God. We want to train them up in the way they should go. We want to form their faith. We tell these stories over and over so they become part of our children's identity, both at home and as we gather. We need each other. We need people who will come in and take our children and say, let me help with this. And take our children and teach them and pray for them and be gentle with them when we just are not. We as parents, that's, that's who the we is. <laughs> we pray that children will always and only know themselves as God's dearly loved children. Paul writes to Timothy, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. As we grow up, the story unfolds and we understand God more and more. Children, this is why you hear the stories over and over, so that you don't forget. So that someday, when you wander the wrong way, there's something in you that says, come back to God. He'll still love you. Each time you hear the story again, you hear something new and God, know God a little bit more. We are committed to passing on our faith to you, children. We're committed to that. I'm looking at children. We will help you to discover the goodness of God in your own lives. So in the story we started with of the lost son, we see the father running toward his son who is lost who was presumed to be dead and came back home. We see a father who rejoices because the lost has been found. He spares no expense to celebrate this son that came home. Do you hear this parable from the mouth of God our Father, the one who rejoices because one of his children has returned? 
Did you know that God rejoices over you? Perhaps you're walking with God pretty well, but make a wrong step. God continues to pursue you. He doesn't stop. There's no distance. He won't go to get you back. Children, I really hope, I really hope you never wander away. Thank you. (laughs) But what I want you to know is that even if you do, God still loves you and he still says, come on back. He will never stop loving you. And I know there's adults in here that have experienced this and can testify to this and we're further away from God than they care to admit. I have been. But there was not a time in my life when I did not know that God would welcome me back, that God was longing for me to return. And that's how it is for you children, for you adults, for you teenagers. Wherever you are, God is welcoming you back to him. This is your roots. This is your foundation. This is what we stand on. I was telling a friend a couple weeks ago um, that's had kind of a difficult journey, I can see your roots. You may be refreshed and renewed to this following God today, but I see your roots. You are rooted in Christ, even though yesterday you weren't following him. The roots are there. The love of God doesn't always make sense to accept us back wherever we are, to accept somebody else back that we think has done nothing to deserve it. They haven't, and neither have we. God's love doesn't always make sense to us, but it does whatever it takes to bring the family together again. The love of God never ends, and it's always unfolding in a new way. And we're going to sing a song in a minute that talks about this, about the reckless love of God that fights for us and, and always pulls us back, that goes to the, the depths for us, that crosses the lake for us, that goes to wherever you are, whenever you're there, to bring you back. And then rejoices over one. Not over like, oh, we had a great, a great week, you know, 30 people came to know God or 100 people were baptized. God doesn't just rejoice for that. He does, certainly. But for one, for you, God rejoices. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your story. We thank you for the scriptures that come alive to us that were written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but are still exactly what we need. Sometimes it's as if we have written them ourselves. God, I thank you that your love never stops, that you never quit on us, that you never forget us. You never, you never say this is, this is the limit. God, I imagine that someone needs to turn to you. God, would you accept them back and welcome them? 
We're thankful. God, we're thankful that you walk with us. We're thankful for this week that we've had to worship you, to hear from you. And God, remind us of your story every day. When we're up to our necks in the stuff of life, when we're overwhelmed by our needs, help us to remember that you are faithful, that you are walking with us. God, we love you and we thank you for your love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.